number one thing is going to be about safety and hygiene. And our clients are much more discerning customers now. They were looking for the things that we were doing. At 125 shops with the technology developing, um, the thing that really surprised me the most was the importance of technology in the client experience, right? The more seamless we can make it, the easier it is to deal, to do business with Floyd's, to get in the chair, to pay and all that stuff. Um, it's just become a really foundational piece of the client experience and I didn't see that coming. I'm Dave Tabor, and this is the Proco 360 podcast, connecting people who love Colorado with stories and lessons of Colorado's world-class entrepreneurs. All my guests believe that Colorado is different, that success feels different here, and that's why Proco 360's tagline is live, work, love Colorado. I'm so proud and grateful to listeners. Proco 360 was recently chosen by Westward Readers as the best Denver podcast for the third year in a row. Thank you. This is probably the last time I'm going to say that. So thank you. Thank you. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Jamie Repenning, president of Floyd's 99 Barbershop, a Denver-based high-energy hairstyling concept that is now over 100 locations in 14 states. Floyd's 99 is focused on its brand on rock and roll, on interiors with bold graphics, and on stylists who are encouraged to be themselves. I look forward to speaking with Jamie first about the process of adapting to COVID-19, then more broadly about growing and running a multi-outlet personal services business. We'll be talking about recruiting, about keeping talent, about the tricky question of customer's loyalty, like is it the brand's customer or the stylist's customer? We'll talk about a lot. So Jamie, thanks for joining me on Zoom as a guest on Proco 360, Denver's best podcast. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. I love talking about Floyd. So as much time as you want to give me, I'll keep talking. So let's start, though, with a quick overview from you about Floyd's. Sure, so at a high level, we have 85 corporate shops, uh, 40 franchise shops, and we serve men and women, just unique for a barbershop. Um, you know, we offer high quality cuts, color, and shaves. Uh, we operate in 14 states, as you said, and we have three more under development right now, so we're pretty cool. excited about that. When you talk about cuts for men and for women, you know, who is your customer? Are these high-end, low-end, fashion-conscious? Like, who are, who are your customers? You know, I say number one is they care about their hair, right? Um, there's a lot of different places you can go, and none of them are bad. They just serve a different niche. Our people care about their hair, and they care about the experience. Um, and they, they still want a great value, but they're willing to pay for those things. Yeah. But I mean, really from a price point, you're somewhere, you're somewhere in between the, the really cheapo shops and the super high end shops, right? You're sort exactly. of exactly. Yeah. So that's actually a great explanation of why Floyd's got started. So there's three brothers that founded the company, Paul, Bill, and Rob O'Brien. And they all, two of them at the time lived in Denver in 1999. They're all trying to get haircuts. And Paul wants a really high quality salon quality haircut. Rob just wants to get in and out when he wants to get in and out. And Bill really cares about the experience. What's it feel like? What's it look like? In that day, they kind of all realized they couldn't get what they wanted, and they certainly couldn't get it in one place. That was the problem that Floyd's was created to solve, was have the convenience, the experience, and the quality all in one place at a great value. Yeah. 
there's a lot to talk about the business. First, though, I want to, I mean, Floyd's 99 Barbershop is slowly reopening. I stopped by one of your locations last Saturday, and um, it was impressed. They were setting up, they had basically a tent set up outside, welcoming customers using outside, you know, social distancing and all that. But how are you looking at this whole process of reopening after, you know, after, we're, well, we're not really through it either. Sure. So um, when we were shut down, we formed multiple teams and we called them our open stronger teams. And one of them was open safe, right? So this was people within the organization with a lot of operational experience that had a passion for making sure we open safely, both for our clients and our stylists. So the first thing they did is, you know, we have a lot of regulations. We are already very careful about safety about hygiene it's in our stylist and barber training and certifications so we wanted to make sure okay reinforce that stuff make sure it's happening as we normally would but then we said okay now let's talk about what we're going to add to it masks hand sanitizer at every station you saw them setting up the table out front that table out front was an innovation that really happened thursday night we started trying it friday by saturday it was out front and it was yeah. great. So and it was windy. I saw them taking shrink wrap and wrapping <laughs> it around this mobile tent to try to break the wind on that stuff. It was funny. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so that was the, the second thing that I talked to the team a lot about is we will make mistakes. There's no way we can plan out everything perfectly. More important is that we adapt really quickly to what we see. So getting that table out front, nobody in the waiting room, no more than 10 people in the shop. If you're Greeting people at the desk, it starts becoming harder to control. So that's one of the things that table helps is keep people outside, um, you know, where it's much safer instead of crowding the shop. Yep. So it's, it was a combination of making sure we're doing the things that we already are supposed to do, but then what can we add to it, but not detract from the client or the stylist and barber experience. So right, we're balancing yeah. a couple of things. Well, that's tricky. And, and I also have to wonder, and I feel for you guys, I mean, no matter what, you're geared up to have so basically all your chairs busy as often as possible. I mean, yeah. so are, are you now in sort of like, how do you manage cash flow when you know that, you know, and how do you do it happily when you know that no matter what you do, you can't make money now, or maybe so, you can't. You know, what's, what's neat about Floyd's, one of the reasons I joined is the founders are not money motivated. They like money as much as anyone else, I guess, but it's just not their driving factor. So, when we're opening up and they see limited chairs, the first thing that came to mind was, wait, there's a lot of people that we're not going to be able to serve. And that was their frustration. Yeah. Um, so it really has not been about cash flow. I often, often along with the CFO, am guarding to make sure we're making money and, and preserving cash flow. But that's not the motivation right now. We're super dedicated to our clients. And we know that creates return clients and, and they'll come back and we'll generate great experiences. Yeah, I suppose it's an opportunity um, to to create a differentiating and a high quality experience under the circumstances. I still have to just feel for for anybody in your in you know line of service. You just whether it's restaurants or or hair or barber, you, you just can't you can't make your model work. No, not in a sixteen chair shop that's only allowed to have ten people in it, including yeah, yeah. their clients. Right. Uh, well, we've we've jumped into the business part already, and I I think I get the problems that are happening with COVID nineteen. We just have to hope that they that they get past us quicker than not. Mm -hmm. From another business standpoint, I mean, you've got a mix of franchises and 
uh, company owned. And it sounds like you've about two thirds of your shops are company owned. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So why that model? So, you know, when the brothers started it, I don't think franchise was even, even a glimmer in their eye, right? It was just, this is the problem we're going to solve and we'll go out and do it. Um, franchising came about because some um, experienced people they knew wanted to bring Floyd's to other markets, um, but it was never by design, right? And, and it's kind of like any entrepreneurial organization, you kind of follow the path and figure out where you're going to be successful. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's not because they should have been planning. Um, it really was, they were just trying to figure out what this model is and where does it work. That's interesting. So, so franchises were sold by request of the buyer, not because you were actively out there trying to hustle franchises. Yeah, you bet. I mean, to this day, um, even during the shutdown, we continue to get inquiries. Right? Wow. The brand really resonates. Um, we are super particular in who we bring in as franchise partners. We yeah. don't call them franchisees. We deliberately call them franchise partners because that's the way we look at it. It's a partner. It's, and to me, and you and I have talked about this once before, I, to me, there are so many franchisors, the companies that sell franchises, that make a mistake in essentially pitting themselves um, against their franchisees in one way or another, uh, profiting at the expense of franchisees and so forth. And I, I think maybe they, they lose sight of what they're actually trying to do because they're in the franchise business rather than whatever business they're in. And mm-hmm. so what I think is kind of cool about your model is that you own more stores than other people do. Right. Yeah. And the, the stores become this test bed, right? We've always got tons of great ideas. We have to be really deliberate about which ones we pick. Um, but we will test them in our shops and make sure we've really built it out before we introduce it to our partners. Um, it's especially important to have these Colorado shops, right? These are our first shops to open in the country. I was in the shops. Our ops people were in the shops. Sorry, not in because then we'd be over 10, but I was there watching. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's so important to see that stuff firsthand to be able to talk to the team and understand what their frustrations are, what's working well. So, you know, the Colorado shops are really key for us to staying in touch with the way it really is happening. I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360 named Denver's best podcast three years running. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Jamie Repenning, president of Floyd's 99 Barbershop. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Kinsley Meetings, Total Coaching Systems, and the law firm of Holland and Hart. These great companies support Colorado business and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Hey, I want to give a shout out to my friend, Steve Kinsley at Kinsley meetings you know that that industry is going through a rough rough time and Kinsley meetings continues to support this show and I'm quite grateful Uh, they're a great company I hope you'll try them also thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360 so moving on with the business really with the business side I got to ask you this question Jamie if there are three brothers why do they need a fourth as president so you know one of the things that's really neat about them is they got it this far but they also realize that the things that got us here are not the things that are going to get us where they're going so you know from a leadership perspective i think they exemplify one of the most difficult things to learn is i'm not the right person for the job anymore and it doesn't mean they're bad it doesn't mean anything but their skill set is not equipped for where we need to go right we need to start building more systems and processes around the things we do to make it really repeatable. 
uh, and they raised their hands and said, okay, we're not the right people to do it anymore. Wow. It's still so, very important to the, to the direction of the company, but just not on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, you've never been in the hairstyling business though, have you? No. So what do you bring? So like, what do you bring as far as insight to a business you know nothing about? So um, I actually worked as a consultant for uh, several years and Floyd's was a client. And our particular type of consulting, um, we called it work design. So we would help build processes um, that supported the way that people sort of like inherently like to work. Um, that resonated with the brothers because they are super in tune with the staff. They want the team to love working here. Um, they want the culture to keep going. Um, but at some point, you can't do that by just visiting every shops and one of the excuse me and by the founders being in one of the shops all the time. It has to actually be built into the bricks. It's just how we work. Um, so that is my sort of expertise that I bring into Floyd's. Wow! And so, what's an example? of something that you observed and were able to change based on that process orientation? One place I've seen it is in uh, hiring. So, uh, and I'll, I'll use an example from my previous company that I use all the time. They had a core value of the power of team. So uh, a group of qualified people will always make a better decision than any one person. What was happening was um, in the hiring process, the team would interview someone, they'd get really excited about it, and then the boss might veto. And that actually was really inconsistent with the core value. So we brought the CEO and the leadership team together and said, hey, if you believe in this core value, then this process is not right. And they sat down, they thought about it, and they said, okay, you're right. We want the leader to be able to say, I have these concerns. If you guys still want to take that risk and you believe it's the right decision, you get to make it. Uh, so that's an example of sort of building into the process the way you want your company yeah. to run. And, and it sounds like you're building a process to wrap around values. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, you know, at the shop level, we want to build systems and be more systematic. But the flip side is our stylists are very artistic, right? They need a lot of creativity and flexibility within the framework for how they do it or they're not going to like it. Right, so that is a challenge that we have right now is we want them to understand they have a lot of flexibility within the framework um, because it's critical and it's, it's part of their creativity. Well, you mentioned your stylist. You used the word stylist. I mean, at Floyd's, they're employees. Is that right? Yes, yes. And so that's kind of a in, – in this whole hairstyling world, it's kind of a weird mix between employee and contractor and stall renter and mm -hmm. independent and all that. So why are yours employees and how does that work for you and against you? You know, um, for us, the reason we do it, uh, the brothers, the founders have always said we want careers, not jobs, right? And if you're going to treat someone in that way, if you're going to develop them, they should be employees. Um, you can do things like benefits. You can do. Um, you can invest in them in a way that you wouldn't do for someone that's an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. So it has always been about the the way to provide uh, more benefits and and um, you know, for example, we were one of the first places to offer paid vacation to our team. Um, wow. We have always been. That's unheard of in your world. Yeah, that's right. In, uh, now people have started to catch up because they had to, but um, it was again, it went back to not even necessarily a business decision. It's what the founders wanted to do for the mm. team, what made them feel good about it. Okay. Now I, I want to ask you about what I think is kind of a tricky place to go. 
-hmm. And that is what my perception of the career trajectory or the professional trajectory of a hairstylist or any other personal services kind of, I mean, seems like they go to school, they practice on each other, they come out, they're crude, not very good. They go to work at a really inexpensive shop where people walk in and pay $9.99 or whatever the case. And right. then eventually they go on and they do their $75 and $100 or $200 haircuts and all that, right? Sure. So you want the people after they suck and when they've gotten pretty good, but how do you keep them then? Um, you know, it's a challenge because you can't offer manager, you know, career path to everybody. So, you know, we have to make sure that they're engaged, that they're motivated, that they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. You will certainly lose people and you just can't dwell on that, um, right? You just have to have a system to find a great replacement. Um, you know, it's just, it's part of the business and you have to be okay with it. But that doesn't mean we don't want them to stay and we'll do everything we can um, for them to be happy and, and content with Florida. Well, like when they leave, is it like rats grumbling and there goes one? Or is it like, hey, we wish you well, you know, but by the way, leave your Rolodex here. Not Rolodex anymore, but, you know, I mean, who, how do you feel when they leave? I would say it's more uh, disappointment. Um, it's, you know, they were a family member. They did a great job. Um, we hate to see them go. And I'm training myself to be happy for them <laughs> because, you know, they really are all tons of great people. But in the end, you just have to be happy for them finding something that makes them happy. And if, and if it can't be a flight, okay, you know, hope you do well. Um, we'd much rather have heard that you were just going to stay here for life, but you have to be realistic. Yeah. And, and when, like, when you think about how you manage customer relationships, who owns you know, in your mind, who owns the customer? Are they a Floyd's customer? Are they a, a Mary's or a Billy's customer? Like, mm -hmm. whose are they and how do you manage that? You know, um, you're, you're touching right on the nerve, right? It is, it is a tricky <laughs> thing. And I think if you ask the stylists and barbers, they probably feel that the allegiance is to them. Um, but it's important to us to always make sure we're creating a great experience and that um, if the stylist moves too far away, they'll stick with Floyd's. Um, if, you know, something changes, the stylist move. So you may lose them, but in the, excuse me, the statistics show that they do start coming back. Um, as long as we just keep doing what we're supposed to be doing and, huh. and creating a great experience at, at a good value. Well, and it, it seems to me that, you know, while some personal, personal services are different. I mean, people have a place they go based on, on the, the atmosphere based on the price and based on whatever their perceived value is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've had a personal experience with a stylist. So I was paying X left and what is charging now 1.5 X. And I'm like, you know, I really like you, but no, it's not worth it to me. So I, yeah. I wonder if Floyd's is able to, to manage it a little differently because of a price point that you've this balance you've achieved. Sure. And you know, we are able to, with our size, we are able to do things with technology and marketing that, um, most small uh, competitors, booth rent people just can't do. Um, so again, we just have to make sure we hit our marks and, and yeah. worrying about who we're going to lose doesn't yeah. help us one bit. It doesn't help us deliver a great experience. So we just got to yeah. keep doing what we do well. Well, you keep saying do what we do well. And I, I respect that. What would you say is your niche? I've, I've talked about it based on price and based on experience, right? But mm -hmm. that's yeah. as an outsider looking in. What do you think is your niche? 
So we say our mission is very simple. It's expert cuts, amplified experience. So when you come in, you know you're going to get a great haircut. Um, you know the experience is going to be good. You're going to get greeted when you walk in the door. The music is going to be cranking. When you walk into a Floyd's for the first time, you just feel it, right? There's an awesome vibe. There's energy. Um, and this is all part of it. And we like to say our clients walk out taller than they walked in. They feel good. They're confident. You'll also notice we use the word, deliberately use the word clients because we want to have that ongoing relationship. We expect mm -hmm. them to come back. We're designed around ensuring that they come back. That's cool. Um, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco360. I'm your host, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Jamie Repenning, president of Floyd's 99 Barbershop. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And please don't forget to rate the Proco360 podcast in your app when you finish this episode. Um, shifting gears once more, and we'll probably shift one more time after that. I, I noticed in your stores and on your website that you do private labeled products. And um, how do those contribute to profitability? How do they contribute to your brand building and so forth? So those are actually uh, pretty cool. And, and I wouldn't use the term private label. They are custom made. So we actually design ah, ah. them with our, uh, with our stylists and barbers. So we would prototype type something, we get it to the shops, they would try it, they take it home. Um, so one of the things that allows us to do, because we have it manufactured, there's nobody in between us and the clients really. So we've made really high quality products that still sell at a pretty reasonable price. Um, sometimes we even worry, are we pricing it too reasonably? And people are making an assumption that this stuff isn't as good as the other stuff because they didn't price it as high. Uh, but I think the story of building it with our team is something that we're really proud of. And then they have pride in the shops. You know, when they're selling it, they had a piece of it. There's also one other really cool thing. And again, this shows the heart of the brothers. 25 cents of every Floyd's product we sell goes into our family care fund. And then our employees can apply to that when they have medical emergencies, unexpected mm -hmm. expenses, et cetera. Um, so again, the whole thing just helps build the company up and get some pride in the shops with our product. That's cool. So do you like have a chemist or have, I mean, to, to create these formulations, I realize it's not rocket fuel, but still, you know, these are things that have to get to go together and stay together. And how do you, how do you get through that process? Uh, we sort of have an evil genius, maybe not a full, you know, PhD in chemistry, but uh, we have some, a woman that uh, oversees the products. She came from that side of the industry and um, she kind of got us close and then helped used our team to help dial it into exactly what, what cool. the clients would love. Yep. Well, earlier you said something about uh, the brothers' growth plans. You also said that their real concern was simply creating a good customer experience. So what are the growth plans and how do, uh, how do you manage that with maintaining customer experience? Sure. So um, the growth plans are to grow heavily with franchise partners in markets that we're not in. And then um, for the markets that we're in with corporate shops, we'll con continue expanding in those markets. Um, but we know that franchise partners do a great job. Um, they live in the market. We only recruit or, excuse, excuse me, accept franchise partners that uh, live in the market. They're in, from this business or a similar one, and they really have the right mindset. Um, we're not as interested in people that are just in it for the investment, right? They yeah. need, usually they've 
been longtime uh, loyal Floyd's clients. They understand what it's all about. They want to be part of it. Those are the kind of people that we like. Are stylists ever, do stylists ever become franchise owners? We have never experienced that, but we've actually had uh, some interesting discussions about how could we make that happen because I think that would be a really neat outcome, um, but we haven't gotten there yet. That would. You know, somebody gets good in Denver and they want to move to somewhere that you don't have a shop and sure. off they go. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. So what do you see? I mean, I, I am intrigued by the personal services business because now, you know, I know there are hairstylists everywhere. Um, I, I can't even fathom how many people must be getting massages uh, before COVID-19 because it seems like there's a massage place on every corner. I'm wondering, like, are people massaging each other or what? And so as this personal services industry continues to grow, what are you seeing as trends? You know, the, there's going to be a new normal. You hear about, about it in restaurants. It goes the, the same for us. I mean, I think the, the number one thing is going to be about safety and hygiene. And our clients are much more discerning customers now, right? They know what they're looking for. We uh, sent out some surveys over the weekend to the people that came into our shops and all their, um, everything they talked about was, I felt safe because of this. I was comfortable because of that. They were looking for the things that we were doing. This, we, we believe, you know, will take us through the end of the year. We're going to have to do a lot of the same things we're doing now, at least through the end of the year, some of the extra practices. But I think in the long run, it's going to change some of our practices. So um, one of the regulations right now is we can only do reservation, which makes sense. You can't have a waiting room full of people. You can't have an unpredictable flow. But we actually believe that that's going to continue um, in a greater way. We've always been a mix of walk-in and reservations. We think the reservations are going to be heavier and um, people are going to expect a much more seamless experience so because they don't want to sit in the waiting room. So mm -hmm. this, when you talk about the automation, um, we can do geofencing when they get near the shop. We know they're nearby. We can send them a text if they're waiting in their car. Uh, we can do um, touchless pay. They pay at the chair. They never have to go to the register and touch the credit card machine. So I think all those sort of technology things, we're going to have to keep developing it for people to feel comfortable because that's really in the feedback was I felt comfortable. That's interesting. And, and you, what I'm hearing from you is that you feel like that need by a customer is going to have staying power. I, I believe so. And um, it's something that we can do and should do, right? There's nothing wrong with, with having a higher level of safety practice and hygiene, um, you know, if, if we can build our technology around it and continue that, why wouldn't we? Well, that's pretty interesting too. I mean, that's a competitive advantage that a company that has the ability, I mean, really a company of size has mm -hmm. over an independent shop. You can put systems in place. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. it's even something in this industry is we are actually uh, one of the bigger uh, companies, you know, in, that actually owns shops. Because when you see great clips, it's typically a franchisee and they own 5, 10, 20. They don't own 85. So they still can't make the same investments, even though there's part of a, of a really big network of, of yeah. shops. Yeah. So one thing I was, I was really exploring in my own head before this interview is the difference between something like Floyd's 99 Barbershop and, and like a restaurant chain. You're a chain, but Versus a and and I've asked this question of restaurant chains 
But I think maybe it's different for you guys because a restaurant chain has to struggle to stay fresh. At some point, they go from being, and I think I, I asked David uh, Burzon of uh, Snooze, how do you continue to get bigger without people saying, I don't want to go there, it's a chain, right. you know? And, yep. and, but I think they look for something different in a restaurant than they look for in a stylist. Is that in a barbershop? Yeah, I think, uh, yes, staying fresh is important. Um, you need to stay relevant. You can't fall behind, especially if part of what we're sell selling is feeling cool, right? That can't be your grandparents' cool. Yeah. Um, but I think a bigger thing for us is to stay local, to make it feel like I am not going in some chain. I'm not going to get just the, the same haircut everywhere, right? These people are from this community. Um, they volunteer in the community. Um, right. So being part of the local community has always been important to us and something that we have to maintain going forward. And, and you've got some philosophies about the kinds of people you hire stylists too sure. that I think support that notion of being local, right? Will you talk about that? So we have a, a core value of embrace individuality, be a style leader, right? So really that's the type of people that we want to hire that want to come in, express themselves, be stylish, um, one of the things I like about our shops is we don't have a uniform, but we do want everyone to be stylish. And I don't care if it's my style. I just like knowing that people are stylish and they pay attention. It doesn't have to be mine. I just want to know that they're in tune and therefore I assume they have a level of expertise and they'll know what looks good for me. Ah, very good. Hey, I want to kind of wind down with a question about Colorado and keeping focused on the theme of the Proco 360 podcast, which is world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. How do you feel that being in Colorado played a role? I know you weren't there at the foundation, but you know the, the founders quite well. How do you think Colorado played a role and continues to play a role in Floyd's success? So, um, you know, number one is I went to Colorado College, and I've been trying to move back here since 1996. So Colorado got me back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really came back because I, I do love Colorado, and um, I wanted to work for these brothers. I wanted to work at Floyd's. Um, Colorado has been an amazing place for Floyd's because of the growth, because the growth created a lot of opportunities for Floyd's to grow near the home office, try stuff, expand, learn from it. Um, but the growth um, – and development has been really important to our success. There's other things, you know, being a great place to visit. If our training is here, people are happy to come here for training. If we're having our franchise meetings here, they are happy to come out here and we've done it in Vail and stuff like that. Um, so for a lot of reasons, it's been a great place for Floyd's. Um, I suspect we would have been successful elsewhere, but it's hard to imagine it not being Denver. Well, that's cool. Final question. What makes you most excited about Floyd's 99 going forward? You know, I think one thing you've heard me say is that uh, the brothers are more interested in creating this full Floyd's experience for more and more people, right? It's why I wanted to come here because it's all about the experience and the people we serve. And if we do that well, the money will come, right? It is never money first and then let's go figure out how to do it. So to me, that is a foundational piece that allows us to do all the things that we need to do to grow in a way that makes sure Floyd's is always Floyd's and feels the same everywhere you go. Well, that's cool and would be a good place to end, except I'm curious, when you, when you took over as president of a company, I mean, I know you've done consulting for Floyd's, you've never actually been in the hairstyling business or anything. What surprised you about being in this world? 
So you've heard me talk about technology a bit. Um, that surprised me. Uh, and I, I was t speaking with Rob O'Brien, one of the founders. He's like, hey, we used to just cut hair and collect money. That was it. <laughs> you know, at 125 shops with the technology developing, um, the thing that really surprised me the most was the importance of technology in the client experience, right? The more seamless we can make it, the easier it is to deal, to do business with Floyd's, to get in the chair, to pay and all that stuff. Um, it's just become a really foundational piece of the client experience. And I didn't see that coming. Ha. Well, thanks. Let's wrap up here. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Jamie Repenning, president of Floyd's 99 Barbershop. Jamie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dave. I love talking about Floyd's. Oh, I can tell. Listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast, and please submit a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Holland and Hart, Kinsley Meetings, Total Coaching Systems, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.